This next show is brought to you by Marketing Relevance, a full-service marketing, communication, and interactive company that increases sales for clients through traditional and interactive methods. Now stay tuned for Peter Shankman. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Radio, the show that gives some love to the world's most intrepid people and organizations. I am your host, Todd Schnick, coming to you from the studio in sunny Brookhaven, Georgia. Today's guest is the author of a new book called Nice Companies Finish First. He is a speaker, author, Iron Man. I better get credit for mentioning the Iron Man thing. <laughs> And entrepreneur, say hello to Peter Scheitman. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. Well, it's good to have you, Peter. Thanks for making time to join us. Uh, Peter, we're going to talk about this new book, but before we do that, take a few seconds and tell us a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, you know, I blame ADHD and uh, uh, talking to everyone for a lot of my success. I, um, you know, was my started my career randomly uh, in the America Online Newsroom. I became one of the first editors of AOL News back when AOL actually meant something in the 90s. I did that for a few years, moved back to New York, started consulting, started a PR firm uh, called The Geek Factory, which had clients uh, worldwide. We handle mostly tech PR. Uh, from there, created my big, my big break, sort of as it were, where in 2007, I launched something called Help a Reporter or Harrow, which uh, really sort of changed how journalists and sources connect around the world. That was acquired in 2010. Uh, I consult now. I'm in the process of starting a new company that's kind of hush-hush, so... You know, so don't tell anyone. And, um, <laughs> and uh, that's that's where we are. Well, awesome. Well, maybe down the road we can get you back on and talk about the new organization. But we're here today to talk about the new book. It's called Nice Companies Finish First, Why Cutthroat Management is Over and Collaboration is In. Guys like me always ask this silly question, but I'll ask it here because uh, I think it makes sense. So, I mean, why did you have to write this book, Peter? Well, you know, it was interesting. When I was running a help reporter, someone once asked me a couple of years ago, you know, what, why was it so successful? You know, it was obviously right place, right time and all that. But what I realized also is that I ran it like every single customer was my friend. You know, you wanted to have, you wanted to post an ad on Harrow and you couldn't afford the price. Tell me you can afford. You know, let's make it work. I'm happy to sort of be a nice guy. And, and that, that wound up, people wound up noticing that. And uh, I sort of got this reputation as this nice businessman. You know, when, when Harrow sold, it sold for more money than I would have ever dreamed I could make off of it. And it just, they said, you know, we're buying it because you have this really this audience that, that loves you and really, you know, admires you and, and likes what you're doing. And so it sort of became this, you know, hey, maybe there's something to this being a nice guy thing. And so I started on this process of interviewing a bunch of different companies over the course of a year or so. And I realized that the ones who were nice and not just being nice to put in the front, but actually legitimately good people and good companies were actually making a lot more money than the sort of old school, you know, Gordon Gecko cutthroat type companies. And the more research I did in this, the more I realized, okay, there's there's something here. Well, there's real numbers behind this, right? This isn't just Peter's theory and something you've thought about while flying around the world. I mean, this is something that, that there's actual research and data that uh, proves, yeah? Oh, there's no question about it. Not, not only do nice companies actually generate more revenue, but they save more money. You know, they can actually cut down um, on their marketing costs because they no longer have to tell the world how great they are by creating this great environment they actually get their customers to tell people how great they are without them having to do anything. And so they're actually, you know, for, for the extra few cents they're spending 
on these sort of incredible acts of customer service, which really aren't that big, they're generating tons and tons of, of revenue through from their current customers talking to new customers that then they wind up acquiring. It's pretty awesome. The book spotlights those in management, obviously, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but uh, shouldn't, we, shouldn't we all be nicer, even the, even the guy in the bottom rung? Well, there's no question about it, but unfortunately, it has to come from the top. If you don't have CEO buy-in on this whole thing, nothing will happen. You know, I don't care how nice your, your, your frontline employees are, your customer service people, things like that. If you don't have top-down buy-in where people say, you know, we want you to be happy. We want you to – if you don't have people who do that from the top down, then you're not going to have anything in terms of getting other people around. So what you're kind of saying, though, is that culture – really matters here and that has to be established and and certainly pushed hard by by the sea level uh, I, I you know I hate to reference Zappos in anything that I do just because it's it's overdone but that's, that's a right, right. it's a great example here right of, of an organization certainly a CEO that that's nice if you will but but they but they encourage nice they empower nice yeah they really do and you know you, you see this in it's companies other than, there's a few other than Zappos and so we don't we don't have well, to talk good. <laughs> They're a great company. We don't have to talk about them. You know, there are other companies who really, they make the concept of customer service a mainstay in that they'd rather you, you not be there if you don't have that customer service mentality. And, and you know, the enlightened companies really understand that, that customer service, loving what you do shines through. And you really need to. It, it can't, you can't fake that. You also reference Steve Jobs in this, in this book, if I, if I understand. And, and while you're saying that the era of the authoritarian CEO is over, is Steve Jobs an example to emulate? I mean, talk about that because I, I don't, you know, I don't understand that he was actually a nice fellow. I mean, obviously wow. he was an amazing individual. He was brilliant, no, no doubt. And, but the thing about him was that he was nice. He was, he was brilliant almost to the, he was brilliant to the point of author, authoritarian, but he was authoritarian about what he loved. And his logic was simply, you need to love it as much as I do. You need to be as crazy about this as I am. And the stories that I heard about him, it wasn't that he was a horrible boss per se. He wanted people to understand why he was so passionate about this and the frustration and the anger that people talk about. I notice a lot actually came when he just when people didn't share that same level of passion. You know, to have a CEO with that level of passion that, that he wants to infuse to the rest of the to the rest of his company is not necessarily a bad thing. It's it's possible that, you know, if, if you're a CEO and, and, and you have employees who don't get that level of passion, perhaps you need different employees. It's not so much that you're a bad person, you just want people who also have that same level of passion with. Yeah, I mean that's that's got to be uh, 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 the CEO, the the executive level of an organization obviously has to push that idea and that message. But yeah, you gotta, I mean, you gotta hire that too, right? I mean, that's that's got to be the one of the most important HR decisions that that's made by an organization, right? No question about it. And it really, you know, good HR people understand the difference. They understand that you know you 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 need someone brilliant, no doubt. But you also need someone who has that level of passion for the company and the products that they're working on. What do you say to the guy who's listening to this show who, who, frankly, at the office isn't, is not a nice guy? Not because he's a bad person, but because he believes 
that to be effective, to affect change and action and, and movement within an organization, he has to be an authoritarian figure. How, how Can that person change and how do they do that? And does that become fake because he's changing? Uh, talk about that that struggle a bit. I think that, you know, it, it, again, it comes down to some people, they're ingrained to be a nice guy. No question about it. But there are others who, you know, you're right. For some whatever reason, they don't necessarily have it. And what I've seen is when they realize why, when they realize the benefit of being nicer as opposed to being, for lack of a better word, a douche, when they find that out, that's when the change happens. That's when you see it start to happen. And uh, it's nice to watch. You know, when you, it, it's almost like um, I was once blind, but now I see. You know, that, that concept of, oh, wow, this stuff really actually does work. It's nice to see. Well, and then the obvious uh, issue is, is if you're faking it, people are going to know that, too. And well, that's that, the other uh, thing. Yeah, you can't fake being nice. You know, you, and people see that, oh, you know, it, you know what it reminds me of? The, remember the Joe Isuzu car commercials? Yeah. Back in the, <laughs> I, I'm telling you the truth, honestly. You know, you, 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 it's, so, it's so easy to see. All right. We'll be back with Peter Shankman after this quick commercial break. When was the last time you browsed the web from your mobile phone? With more consumers than ever searching for your business on the go, it's important that you make a great first impression. Make sure your website is making the most of your mobile presence with content designed uniquely for smartphones and tablets. Get started with the team at Marketing Relevance today. Call 770-383-3360 or visit marketingrelevance.com. All right, and we're back with Peter Shankman, author of Nice Companies Finish First. Peter, where do you draw the line between being nice and, and, and encouraging nice and being taken advantage of? Yeah, th- I always used to say, you know, I'm nice until the point where you make me not nice, and then I have the sharpest lawyer you never want to meet, you know? <laughs> I, I look along the lines that, that you have being nice and being taken advantage of are two very distinct things, and only you know where to draw that line. It's like uh, Supreme Court's definition of pornography. I know it when I see it. Right. You know, you know what it means to be a nice guy and help out versus being taken advantage of. I tell people I'm always willing to take the first phone call or to answer the first email with if they want some free advice, but don't ask me to write your marketing plan. I think one of the messages that you push in this book also is that it's okay to be nice to your competition. Now, I have a, uh, an old friend of mine who had this line that I really like, serve your competition and you won't have any. Yep. Uh, I, have a, I have a feeling there's, a, there's an awful lot of people that are just not going to be able to get their head wrapped around this idea of being nice to competitors. Talk about that a bit, why that's so important. It really is the killing with kindness motto. You know, I, I have a, uh, a story of, a, of a, a guy who owned a uh, steel fitting company, and one of his clients had to take a trip to India to do something. And it turns out this company had a competitor who was over there who was able to do that, who, who could have done it for him. So he called him. And he's like, hey, I know we work in the same space. You want to do a favor for a client of mine? The guy said, sure. And he did it. And fast forward, another client came in about six months later that the first company couldn't take because they were too busy, gave it to the second client. You know, there's, it's one thing to be competitive, but you don't have to be competitive and be a douche about it. You know, you can, you can there's a reason that Baseball players on different teams are actually friends. You can learn a lot from your competitors. And you, you, I'm not saying give away all your secrets, but there's nothing karmically wrong with 
with uh, banding together. There's there's reasons that mastermind groups exist, things like that. Yeah, but it's it's the notion of serving first, selling second. I mean, if you if you're willing to share what you know, I always use this example of when when you know because you, you've heard this countless times, I'm sure. Where oh, I don't want to, I don't want to share all my secrets because then people aren't going to need to hire me. And and I always say, well, think of a think of a woman in a bikini. And she's showing you 90% of herself <laughs> right now. There's a lot of people that would pay a lot of money for that last 10%. So, so, you know, share, share what you know. I mean, but that's, but that's a very key element of this notion of, of, of being nice and, and, and helpful and serving because then people get a, a, a taste of what you're about and what you're like, and they're more likely to do business with you. Well, that's my logic. When I've gotten more clients simply by reaching out to people and saying, Hey, how are you? What are you working on? How can I help? You know, I'm not actually telling you, hey, I want to do something or I want to, I want you to hire me. I'm just saying, hey, if you need a hand, I'm I'm here. And you know, they come back, they come back, and they ask for they ask for uh, for work they want to pay for. It's incredible. Well, there's all these books about how to <laughs> how to leverage LinkedIn and 400 page books with all this intricate strategy and tactics and all that. And frankly, how LinkedIn works for me is you scroll through and and when you see someone on the status that you haven't talked to in a while, you send them a LinkedIn message saying, "Hey, hope this finds you well. What's going on?" And I've gotten business that way. I mean, it's 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 it's, uh, it's amazingly how simple that is, and and frankly, more amazing how many people don't do it. Don't do it. I know. That's I love that. It's like I just love that stuff. I love dealing with people and seeing how easy it is to impress people because the majority of people out there are just lame sorry to sorry to say it but they are i, I was going to say this offline i mean i wish you hadn't wrote this book because you're going to take away our competitive advantage <laughs> <laughs> talk about you're known in the marketplace obviously peter as as a a thought leader in the pr space talk about how an organization can integrate this concept into their pr strategy i think that you know the key is again we are living in a time now where we have such amazing ability to share instantaneously worldwide and to be able to do something out of the ordinary you know I, I mean the, the example I use multiple examples but two of them that I'll share with you you know the Morton story is, is classic can they do that for everyone no of course not but they can provide the same level of service at the restaurant they don't have to show up to, to the airport with a steak but they can provide this incredible level of customer service that when you know people go there and they want to eat there and they want to come back and take their friends uh, the flip side I was at a hotel and uh, I came back to my room around 6 p.m. after a bunch of meetings, 5 p.m., and uh, I see a brand-new tube of toothpaste on the counter of the bathroom with a note, Dear Mr. Shankman, when you left your toothpaste out this morning, we noticed it was almost empty, so we took the liberty of replacing it. Uh, complimentary to you. Uh, please enjoy. Uh, thank you for being a, a guest here. It blew me away. I posted online, you know, 500 comments and shares later. Uh, the head of the PR person from this hotel told me, hey, well, you know, we can probably trace back two or three specific new reservations from this Facebook post. So the ability to share really is the new PR and marketing, you know, that your customers can do this for you and want to do this because they're so excited about the service they got. Look, we love sharing. When, when things go well, we love being the ones to talk about it. We love being like, ha-ha, look how cool we are. Look what we got that you didn't. And we also love sharing when we're miserable because we're not truly miserable until we've made everyone else around us miserable. And so, you know, people are talking about your business positively or negatively. You have the, you have the ability to control that conversation and determine which way they talk about it by doing these incredibly simple, cheap things. 
Well, that's that is a good segue into the next discussion here. Is is what is the impact of the social web on this idea? I mean, I, I it's the Morton story is a great example of the the good that it can do. But you know, the other issue is people. Too many people can't resist this idea of crapping on bad service and in, 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 on Twitter and, and and I mean, how, is it does the social web make this the ability to to have this nice element to your business and your brand? Does that make it easier or harder? Talk to me about that a bit. I think that you know you have the ability to again to, to direct the conversation based on what you're doing. Twenty years ago, people couldn't share like this. You know, they if they had a bad experience, they'd tell a couple of friends maybe. You know, and, and and maybe the person wouldn't go to the restaurant, but you know, now in real time, you could tweet about the delay on the tarmac as it's happening. And companies who are aware of this and who take steps to prevent—it's not about controlling the message once it's out there. It's about crafting. It's about making the message get crafted uh, in such a way that's beneficial to you, like by taking off on time. You know, by by having the room ready at the hotel and not having to wait an hour, even though it's 10 p.m. You know, things like that. By, by making sure that your 7.30 reservation is actually honored at, wait for it, 7.30. You know, it's those kind of things. And, and again, it's not really hard to do because you're not asking for the moon. You're just trying to do 1% better than the rest of the universe out there, which is, like I said, pretty much crap. So you do these things 1% better. And yes, people will talk about them. And there's your social web. And they're doing it on their own. That You're not asking them to do it. It's much more believable than if you say, I'm awesome. Think about the guy who walks into a bar and goes up to a girl and says, I'm awesome. You should come home with me. Or the guy who's sitting there by himself and his, her best friend is talking to the girl and says, oh, my God. That guy over there is awesome, you know, which is more believable. So it really, I think it comes down to that. Yeah, marketing automation is this new hot thing, and and I and I wonder about the fact that that's comes some that sometimes come ac- comes across as phony and and forced and some automated thing uh, that that's meant to look like you're responsive and paying attention, but it's just some system that's that's operating after you hit start. Uh, does that have any impact? I mean, is there a way to to leverage that in the right way, or or is is automating some of these processes just naturally make it hard? To effectively have a campaign where you can where you be nice, I don't think it's hard. I think the problem with, with marketing automation is is that when you try to automate something that has to come from within, you know, you can't automate being nice. You can you can explain the benefits of being nice, but you can't automate it. So you know, marketing automation has its place. There's no question about that. Customer relationship management software has its place, but nothing is going to nothing is going to ever beat the employee coming over to you and saying, you know what, you look stressed. Here's a cup of coffee on the house. Or, hey, we know your plane was three hours late, so we have a hot towel waiting for you at the hotel. Nothing is ever, no amount of automation will ever replace that. Peter, I broke two intrepid radio rules by, by as I mentioned earlier, referencing Zappos and Apple and Steve Jobs. Uh, <laughs> do me one favor. The book is full of stories, and, and you feature and showcase a lot of CEOs and organizations. Uh, tell us a story about an organization that no one listening to this has probably ever heard of or familiar with. All right, so full disclosure, I'm on their board, but there's a company out there called the Scott Evest. And the Scott Evest is uh, it's a line of travel clothing. And I love this clothing. This clothing is amazing. And their CEO is this really nice guy named Scott Jordan. And whenever he finds people talking about their the clothing, he goes and he listens. He's like, hey, what do you think? Talk to me. He's giving them out his phone numbers. He lives his life very openly. It's this kind of openness that has turned the Scotty Vest consumer into really sort of a cult. We love our Scotty Vest clothing. You know, we, I will not travel on a plane without my Scotty Vest jacket. It, it's that kind of stuff. And, and, and he embraces that and he thanks people. He puts regular, everyday consumers of his products into their catalog. You know, he doesn't look for supermodels. He uses everyday people. 
wearing the clothing. And so he really he interacts with the audience day in, day out. And you can't fake that. Well, good stuff. Uh, I've heard you talk about uh, that organization before. That's uh, that's that, I love that story. All right. Well, Pete, we're about out of time. Before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you? And more importantly, where can they get their hands on this new book? Nice companies finish first. Why cutthroat management is over and collaboration is in. Thanks. It's available. Amazon's coming out with it April 2nd. You can pre-order it on Amazon. I don't know when. The, when's this podcast going live? Oh, go, uh, go live on Monday. Okay, then you know what? If, if the first 10 people listening to it email me, I will invite them to the launch party, which is happening in New York City on Thursday. Outstanding. Well, thanks for that. I'll be sure to reference that in the show notes. Peter Shankman, speaker, author, Iron Man, and entrepreneur, and author of Nice Companies Finish First. Man, it was great to finally connect, and uh, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. My pleasure. All right. Well, that wraps this show. On behalf of my guest, Peter Shankman, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next time on Intrepid Radio. Intrepid Radio.